We are going to imagine that we are on a desert island, but our life is the desert island. And on this island, we are only going to have nine things, count them nine, we'll call them board games, or you can call them movies, but we're going to use board games for our illustration today. So we're going to have nine things to do to have fun for the rest of our lives. But let's go ahead and pray that God would speak to us. God, I pray that you would help us to understand the wisdom that your word offers us and the truth and the love that you give us. I thank you for every person in here and the fun that we can have together and, um, and just being built up together as members of your family and your body. Jesus, we love you and we need you. We need to understand uh, about having fun in this life. Amen. All right, so today's Bible study is called Desert Island of Nine Board Games. Desert Island of Nine Board Games. And we're going to imagine, again, like we're on this desert island. We only have nine board games. And Solomon, so we're studying the book of Ecclesiastes, and we're in chapter 2. And Solomon, he's going to help us today to understand the nine things that every human being has the opportunity to enjoy in this world. There's only nine. There's only nine things that every human being has the opportunity to enjoy in this world. So anything that you have fun with will fall into one of these nine categories. It's pretty neat that he breaks it all down like that. All people throughout the whole world have the same experience of these nine things. And these nine things are not bad, okay? Uh, At least not if used rightly. If you overindulge in them, they can be bad. If you use them outside how they're supposed to be used, they can be bad. But they're just not fully satisfying. That's what we're going to learn today is these nine board games, uh, we get bored of board games. You get bored of the same ones all the time. And imagine having the same board game for 20 years, 30 years, 50 years, 70 years of your life. We get tired of the same nine things. And that's Solomon's basic point that we're going to be learning about today. Uh, The whole book of Ecclesiastes is teaching us about what is truly going to satisfy our souls our hearts, what's truly going to work. And these nine things don't, he's going to say. All right, so we start out in verse 1 of chapter 2, and Solomon says, you know, I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with mirth. That's a great word. We should say that more in our common language, mirth. Therefore, enjoy pleasure, but surely this also was vanity, So there's that word vanity again, which means there's no gain to it, there's no profit, there's no worth, there's nothing solid. So when you try to grab onto it, it's like grabbing smoke. You can't get anything that you really need from it. So Solomon's uh, intro here says, you know what, I'm going to test my own heart. He asks this question, is there anything fun or pleasurable in this world that can truly satisfy the heart of a human being? Solomon is so wise that he's going to identify all nine things that people try to gain satisfaction through, through their pleasures. So, um, so pop quiz, how many of them are there again? Nine. Good job. You guys all pass. See how easy church is? All right. So let's see a few examples of, of what we do as people um, to try to uh, enjoy ourselves and have fun um, teenagers rebel to have fun, don't they? It's coming. Watch out. You're already there. <laughs> you know, they put up posters, and then they take down posters and put up new posters. Uh, we're pretty fickle. Middle-agers, they have their crises. Crisis, what's the plural of crisis? Crises. They have their crises as well, middle-agers. They start new jobs. They leave old ones. They drink their booze, or they give it up. They take their meds, or they give them up, or they get married, or they give up on their marriage, or they have kids, or they ignore them, or they dye their hair, or they leave it weird, or they change their clothes, or they take them to a garage sale, or they save their money, or they spend it. Well, all this is just always searching. People are always searching for that magical lottery ticket to real joy and pleasure and satisfaction in their hearts. Okay, we we try all kinds of different things. I call it soul satisfaction as we were going through this book. Solomon says, 
Don't look for soul satisfaction where you can't find it. Um, why will these things never work? Because you really, or sorry, second question, why can't we really enjoy ourselves? Because to enjoy yourself is to drink only what self can provide or produce. That's the main problem with it. Anything created runs out eventually. It's the law of entropy, okay? You spin a top, and it'll go for a long time, but it eventually runs out of of its momentum, okay? And we, as created beings, cannot produce that soul satisfaction that we are craving. But God made us crave it. He created us to have it, but we've lost it somewhere along the road. Actually, way at the beginning in the Garden of Eden. We lost it. But it doesn't mean we still don't ache for it, need it, yearn for it. But when we search for something in ourselves or to enjoy ourselves, we're going to find out that, uh, like a video game, it runs out of levels. You know, you ever played that video game and it was so awesome and then it, you run out of levels? Like Candy Crush. Dana's on level 8,010-niner on Candy, yeah, <laughs> on Candy Crush. She's amazing. But at a certain point, she hit the max level and it's done. Like, there's no more levels. Um, or have you guys ever watched a TV show, and it was so thrilling and exciting, and then they canceled it. Surface. You ever heard of Surface? NBC had this TV show called Surface. It was amazing. It was like sci-fi. It was like this kid found like this water creature, and then there was other of these water creatures that were like the size of an enormous dinosaur, like Godzilla in the ocean, and But he caught a baby, and he was raising it, and it was these episodes, and it was going, and they canceled it at the end of the first season on a cliffhanger. In fact, there's a website, bringbacksurface.whatever, because it was was amazing. It was like the coolest show. Dana and I found it one day. We were watching it, and we were just like, this is the best show. We're binging it. It's 2 in the morning, and we get to the end of season 1, and it ends on this cliffhanger. They're about to, like, the whole world's getting flooded, and these monsters are coming out, and you're like, what's going to happen? And nothing. They're like, there's your show. It was awful. It was awful. But just like when any show you love ends, you know, when Seinfeld ends, people were, like, crying or, you know, The Office or... Friends, yeah. Whatever. TV shows end. We get sad. That's how it works. We become bored with things that once thrilled us. Okay? And that doesn't mean that we shouldn't have joy in this life. That's not what we're saying. That's not what Solomon's saying. In fact, we're going to see it's the opposite. That God actually wants us to have real joy, true joy, and we're going to learn about that today. Uh, He wants us to have more joy than we do. He's more concerned about you being happy than you are. He's done more to pay for your happiness, the ticket to the amusement park that you should be in. He's done more to provide that than you could ever imagine. And he has more in store for you, more joy and more soul satisfaction than than you could imagine. And that is a promise that we're going to dive into today. In fact, Jesus says he is the way, the truth, and the life, and he wants us to know a love that does not end or get canceled or get or disappoint in any way. A fountain that does not run dry, nothing that is produced from self, but something that comes from God and his spirit. Not something that's created, but something that's eternal. Okay, so let's start again our chapter and just see where we get with this. We'll look at these nine things. Verse 1, I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with mirth. Therefore, enjoy pleasure, but surely this also was vanity. So Solomon says he's testing his own heart. He's not testing the board games. He knows the board games are fine. They're good for what they are, okay, all the fun things. But he's testing his own heart. He wants to, he's using his big brain to explore how pleasure works in his own life. What effect does pleasure and fun have on me? Is it good? Is it bad? Or is it something else? 
That's what he's going to investigate. So these are the nine board games of this life. Every day and every night, we can have fun, guys, and we should have fun. But there are only these nine options. And, you know, they can be thrilling at first, but they all fade. They all break down. You guys ever had that board game that you miss your missing pieces to? Right? You're like, oh, yeah, we can play, you know, Monopoly, but we're missing, you know, Boardwalk. And so no one, no one can land there. You have to re-roll if you land there. You know, we lose these board games. They lose our attention over time. But they're still the only games in town, guys. We're on a desert island. There's only these nine things. And no matter how you twist it and how many different ways you look at it, it's the same games. It's the same thing. So these are the nine games. You ready? Number one, jokes. Jokes, humor. Number two, alcohol. That's a fun game. Number three, art. Number four, nature. Number five, money and possessions. Number six, music. Number seven, sex. Number eight, affirmation, fame. And number nine, work. Those are the nine board games. Those are the nine things that you can go to every day to have some fun, to get some pleasure and enjoyment out of this life. So we're going to see what we can learn about each one of those. Solomon says they are vanity, empty, not soul satisfying. So we're going to dive into each one. So the first one is verse two, jokes. I said, of laughter, madness, and of mirth, what does it accomplish? Okay, so Solomon says, laughter and lightheartedness can be great. They can be, you've heard laughter is the best medicine. So laughter can be, you know, can make you feel better. It, there's like a healing part to laughter, which is pretty cool, but it can also hurt, can't it? Uh, laughter can be crazy good, but Solomon says it's also just madness, crazy loony to think that that's all that there is or that you're going to get satisfied by jokes. As people, you know, we try to go to the well of laughter a little too much sometimes, and I'm probably guilty of that more than most. I love laughing. I love jokes. I love humor. I think they're great. But there's, it can go bad, and let me tell you a couple ways it can go bad. We can try to escape um, by always laughing, joking, or giggling when it's not the time for laughter, right? You know, like at a funeral and you get the giggles, everyone's like, bro, calm down, get yourself together, and then it just makes you laugh more. That stinks, right? That's embarrassing. Huh? Um, I'm not, I plead the fifth. I don't know. <laughs> See, I told you. We can have a problem with laughter. <laughs> or have you ever met someone that when something bad, they're talking about something bad, they just smile? Oh, I'm so sorry you have cancer. It happens. Yeah, or making fun of people. Um, you know, at sometimes laughter is the opposite of what our heart needs. Our heart needs to grieve and to mourn sometimes. And you can't laugh at everything. Uh, some things are no laughing matter. So uh, laughter can be good, but it's not going to satisfy our souls in the end. Uh, laughter can be something we use to make our sin seem not so sinful, like puking in a toilet when we got drunk and laughing about it as we tell the story. You know, that that's happens out there in the world. They laugh at cold and calloused words, you know, making fun of people. Ah, it's no big deal. I was only joking. Boys will be boys. Ha, 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 ha. It doesn't work, right? It's not honorable, and it, it doesn't meet our soul's needs. Laughter can easily become not funny when we realize that the same old jokes are retold every night on every TV show. Every stand-up routine is basically the same, and we get sick of it eventually. Uh, plus, when we have a broken heart, and we all get a broken heart at some point in our lives. Laughter is, make, someone making light of it is the last thing that we want to experience. We, we want someone that will weep with us when we weep. Like Jesus said, weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice. Um, but Jesus had jokes 
And we're going to talk about that in a little while. Jesus was great at jokes. All right, the second board game you can pull out is alcohol. All right? He says in verse 3, I searched my heart how to gratify my flesh with wine while guarding my heart with wisdom and, uh, and how to lay hold on folly till I might see what was good for the sons of men to do under heaven all the days of their lives. So Solomon checks out alcohol next. He, makes, he says it makes your flesh feel good. He says he doesn't deny that, right? Uh, he, it says, he says you can have joy. It can bring joy to your life. If it's done in moderation, of course, that's fine. You know, drinking is not a sin. But is there a downside to alcohol? There sure is. There is definitely a downside. Let me read to you one verse from Proverbs that helps us uh, to see, like the Bible even says, who has woe? Who has sorrow? Who has contentions? That means arguments. Who has complaints? Who has wounds without cause? Where did I get this bruise? Who has redness of eyes? Those who linger at the wine. Those who linger long at the wine. Those who go in search of mixed wine. Okay, so drinking is not a problem, but getting drunk is a problem according to the Bible. You know, being wasted, hugging a toilet isn't the picture of joy and satisfaction in someone's life, is it? It's a picture of not that. You know, a woman getting drunk and ending up in a stranger's bed or, a, you know, abandoned in a hotel, that's a bad time. A father's drunken violence, that's ruined a lot of families. An alcoholic's life ain't easy. And it doesn't smell good either. And what, what Solomon's really saying here is that alcohol in the end, like all these board games, leaves us thirsty. Like alcohol makes you thirsty because your body's like needs water, needs that water to refresh itself. All these board games leave us thirsty. And like alcohol, it only highlights our need for something else that really satisfies our soul, not deadening the pain like an anesthetic, but something that really fixes us. And alcohol doesn't do that. Isaiah chapter 55 is a great verse to to stop right here. We're going to stop and we're going to read this verse. Isaiah 55 verses 1 and 2. And um, uh, God makes this promise. He says, ho, which is a word like, everyone listen up, pay attention. Everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. You who have no money, come and buy and eat. Yes, come and buy wine and milk, all right, without money and without price. So God makes this promise. He says, the wine that you, you, you're, you think will meet your needs, that will satisfy you, he says, it's really found in me, and it's free. And he, I love that he mentions milk because I am addicted to milk. I'm a milk, milkaholic. I love milk with all my heart. I am utterly addicted. Oh, just nailed the timing of that. So good. All right. <laughs> Boo, thanks. All right. God says, the wine, the milk that you love, the food that you, you think will satisfy you. He says, if you come to me, come and buy, and you can eat and drink, and it's all free. He says, without price. Then he says, why do you spend money for what is not bread and your wages for what does not satisfy He's saying the real bread, the bread of life, is what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about bread that you can buy at the the store right over there or bread that you buy at Walmart. He's like, you can buy that with money. He's the real bread is the bread that satisfies and brings nourishment to your soul. And he says, you can't buy that one with money. No matter how hard you try, no matter how much money you have, why do you spend your wages for what does not satisfy? He says, this is what you got to do, guys. Listen carefully to me, God says. Listen carefully to me. We, we have that devotional where every morning you can set aside some time to listen carefully to him, getting his. And then he says, and 
you will eat what is good. Listening to God is the same as eating what is good for your soul. That is why we emphasize spending time in his word. That's why we, we do a Bible study every Sunday. We're not a church that just gets up and says, rah, rah, let's go and let's get emotional and let's do a bunch of things that get us really pumped up. I don't care about those things. We just want to have our soul satisfied and fed with the real bread. He says, listen carefully to me, eat what is good and let your soul delight itself in abundance. Your soul will be fat, the good kind. You, it will, you will be able to be really delight. You will have that joy, the pleasure that the world and all these nine things we're learning about today cannot give you. So there's a kind of drink that satisfies our heart or, or bread. And Jesus said, Jesus offers it to you today. He, he, he says he actually is it. He is the drink. It's his invisible quality. It's his spirit. That's what the invisible part of a person is, the spirit. And, and it says in Ephesians 5.18, do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation or wastefulness, but be filled with the Spirit. Jesus says, I want you to be satisfied. I want you to be happy. And the only way it happens is not through indulging in anything in the world, getting drunk, you could say, because you can get drunk on jokes. You can get drunk on alcohol. You can get drunk on any of the nine things. You can overindulge in those things, thinking that it will satisfy you and make you happy. And Jesus says, it won't. I want you to be happy, but none of those things will do it. Only a real relationship with me will satisfy you. Do not be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. Jesus says, I'm offering to pour into you, to fill your cup up, to overflowing all you can handle. Jesus says, I'm there for it. I'm there for you. I want you to have this. Jesus, one day when he was uh, here, he stood up at the temple, the place where people were religious, the place where people wanted to connect with God, the big temple in Jerusalem. And, and it was on the very special day where they took uh, big buckets of water up to the top of the stairs and they dumped them down the stairs to remember God's faithfulness and how God provided water for them out of the rock in Sinai when they were in the desert. So they're celebrating this event where God miraculously provided water for the children of Israel thousands of years later. They have a temple. They dump their buckets of water out. And Jesus on that day stands up and he yells. It says in John 7, 37, he cried out. He says, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. How, imagine how that looked to all the people watching him that day. We want to connect with God. We want to be happy. We want to be joyful. And here is all this water flowing. And it says, Jesus stood up right in the middle of all that water. And he says, if you're thirsty, it's hot. It's desert. It's, you know, they're all thirsty and they're dumping the water out. And I was like, oh, I wish I could drink some of this water, but I can't. And so Jesus says, if you're thirsty, this water isn't going to do it for you. I will. Okay, so the question is, how? How? Do I drink Jesus? Because that could be weird. You could be thinking, wow, how do I do that? Jesus goes on and he says, he who believes in me, as the scripture said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. So Jesus said, this is so easy, guys. Believe in me and you get it. You get it all. Well, what does it mean to believe in Jesus? You hear what he says, and you believe it. You hear his word, and you say, I'll buy that. You say, you love me? I believe it. It means you put your hope in what he says. You put your hope in it. How am I going to be forgiven of all my horrendous sin? Jesus said he would love me. He would suffer God's wrath for me. And that if I trust him, I'm completely forgiven. And that is how to just believe him. What does he say? Am I going to believe it? Am I going to put my hope in him? 
you won't find this soul satisfaction that, we're learn- that, that, that Solomon is searching for. He won't find it in a glass. But Jesus says, you will find it in me. Okay, we'll come back to that topic here in a minute, but let's go back to our list. We're on verse 4, Ecclesiastes 2.4. I made my works great. I built myself houses, and I planted myself vineyards. So here Solomon says art and creativity is his next board game that he's testing out. He uh, he built and designed great things, Uh, houses, other great buildings. He produced art. Art can be good. I wish I was an art critic so I could say, this art is bad. But I'm not, because I can't tell what's good or bad. But there's, what's the problem with art? Why can art not satisfy us? Well, there's always a flaw in art or buildings. There's always a limitation. And in comparison with God's art and creativity, we're all playing for second place at best. Have you seen the flowers? They're legit. They're like so cool, or the stars, or anything that God has made. It's pretty much amazing. We have no ability like him. We're not even in the same class as he is uh, when it comes to producing art. If all we have is human art and things that people can build, you're going to end up depressed and empty. Your iPhone is going to get old and cracked, and the new version comes out, and then they purposely slow your old one. And you're like, why do I keep buying iPhones? because they're awesome, right? Okay, in Ephesians 2, so going back to the New Testament, it says this, for we are his workmanship. You know what that word means? His art. We are his art created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. What compares to God's work? Nothing. And the yearning we have to see his art and be satisfied by it is graciously given to us in Christ. We get not only to see his work, but uh, we get to be his work. We get to be his art. You know, we get to see, you know, the beautiful things he's made. And even now in, in our day and age, we can see atoms and we can see galaxies and nebulas. And those are awesome. But God says, the greatest thing I've ever made is you. You are the pinnacle of my creation, and that's pretty amazing. You are the greatest art God ever imagined, and it's it's the canvas of your life that he is currently working on. The beauty, the pain, the love, the joy, the sorrow, all of it gets mixed together in this color palette, and it gets redeemed by his skill and his power. And dude, your life becomes his production. And it's glorious. And he, he loves to do that. In 1 Corinthians 3.9, it says, we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. You are God's building. So here, it's the same thing, but from an archi- architectural perspective, God is building a building and he's using you. And from an agricultural version, you are God's field. He's like a farmer, and he is working on your life. So here's all the art and all the, work, all the um, uh, creativity all there, okay? All right, the next one we work on, we see, the next board game we pull out is nature. Ecclesiastes 2, verses 5 and 6. I made myself gardens and orchards. I planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made myself water pools from which to water the growing trees of the grove. Some people get great joy out of nature. It can be pretty wonderful. It can be pretty cool. Um, You know, it's it's great to go up to the mountains and take, you know, in the beauty of nature. Some people love it so much they smoke it in, you know, they're natural things. But marijuana joke, just, did you catch that? Okay. All right. We live in Denver. Come on. We can all get the jokes. I'm trying hard. But nature won't even satisfy our deepest. But I've, I've met people, they're like, oh, I don't need church. I don't need God. I go, nature is my church. I'm like, that's great, but that's really lame. 
uh, because people are what God loves, like a million times more than trees. He loves people. He made all the trees just so you can have something nice to look at uh, because he loves you. And anyway, that's a different point. We'll get to that later. So, but Jesus loved nature. He saw the beauty in God's designs. He used nature illustrations like hundreds of times. He was always saying, look at the tree, look at the rock, look at the water, look at the sun. It's, it, they all can show God's character. It's really great. But these games by themselves don't satisfy us, give us pleasure. They leave us empty in the end. All right, the next two verses, seven and eight. I acquired male and female servants. I had servants born in my house. Yes, I had greater possessions of herds and flocks than all who were in Jerusalem before me. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and special treasures of kings and of provinces. I acquired male and female singers, the delights of the sons of men, and musical instruments of all kind. There's a couple in there, but the first we look at is money and possessions. Um, you know, America is so rich, right? And America is so unhappy. And that's the only illustration I need, right? Money doesn't buy happiness. Solomon tried. He was richer than all of us put together. Um, and so he noticed that being rich, powerful, and famous didn't, didn't bring him any meaning or joy in his life. And we're all like, yeah, but I would like to try. Let me try, right? And then I'll, I'll see if I agree with him. This game gets boring quickly as well. This, another one we see there is music. You know, some people are really passionate about music. My boys love their music. They love listening to it and producing it. But by itself, music doesn't satisfy. In fact, eventually it just becomes a soundtrack to our brokenness. Um, sex, he mentions that in verse 8 when he says the delights of the sons of men. In Hebrew, that means concubines. Crazy. And um, so here's the bad part about that. You know, people search for meaning, value, intimacy through this, what's supposed to be a gift from God uh, for our joy, and they find only pain, sorrow, and worthlessness because they, they, they get confused and so they search out even more, and they try more, and they try different, and they, they think that they will find their pleasure in this thing. And it, it, just like a drug, it leaves you unsatisfied at the end. And here's the good part of it. A couple can find deep connection and love and value and a wonderful in a wonderful godly marriage where they love each other and they're committed to each other. But in the end, it's still... Everyone grows old, everyone gets wrinkly, everyone dies. It's still not the same intimacy that God has said that he intends for us to have with him. It's not, it doesn't measure up to what God intends us to experience in the one, oneness unity with him where we are united to him and he loves us. It's a picture of it. It can, it can give us a sense of what that unity is, but it doesn't meet that soul need for intimacy and love. Verse 9, Solomon says, So I became great and excelled more than all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also, my wisdom remained with me. So he says here, fame is the next one he identifies. Uh, affirmation. It, he says it doesn't matter in the end. You get canceled or you get forgotten, and in the end, the opinion of men won't matter anyway. It's you and God in the end, and he's going to say, hi, son. I thought about you every day you were gone, and I love you, and that's all that's going to matter to us. The last one he says is work. In verse 10, whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I did not withhold my heart from any pleasure, for my heart rejoiced in all my labor, and this was my reward from all my labor. Verse 11, Then I looked on all the works that my hands had done and all the labor which I had toiled, and indeed all was vanity, grasping for the wind. There was no profit, there's that word gain or profit, under the sun. At the end of a long career, let's say work is your thing. You get really just jazzed by my job. I love my job. It's so awesome. Anyone like that? Okay, nobody here but some people do <laughs> love their jobs. I love my job. <laughs> it's awesome. But at the end of a long career, 
you get a watch if you're lucky. And if you're really lucky, you don't get a knife in the back instead of a pat on the back. Someone else will always benefit from your work that you did. And all of us are underpaid. Can I get an amen? Amen. Okay, so now we're going to wrap it up. But this is the really awesome, important part. We're going to shift our attention from Solomon to Jesus. You're like, we already did that. Well, I'm going to do it like for real this time. I'm going to preach even harder. Um, Solomon calls himself, or excuse me, Jesus calls himself the greater than Solomon. Okay, when in one of his, in, when he mentions Solomon, he says one greater than Solomon is here, just like he did with Jonah, which we studied last. But this time he says, you know, I am greater than Solomon. So let's see what Jesus says in Matthew chapter six, verse nineteen. And through 21, Jesus says this, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus is saying simply this, play a different game, guys. Don't worry about those nine games. They all fail. But there's something else. Jesus doesn't say ignore your pleasure. He's very interested in your joy. He wants us to have real treasures and, and that last and are satisfying, that where they're not stolen, where they're not unsure. Treasures that aren't corrupted by everything Solomon showed us as wrong with them. He wants us to have eternal treasures, a different game, an eternal game. I call it a game. It's really not a game. Whatever. It's my illustration. So how do we get these treasures that Jesus is offering? The better pleasures, the better board game? They are all a free gift to you. You can have it now for nothing. It's free because God loves you. And he has paid the price to give you the real joy and satisfaction that you want, that you need, that you've been searching for. Jesus says it's yours. Look at 2 Corinthians 4, 16. It says, therefore, we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. See the, the game shift? It's not these temporary games anymore. It's eternal. While we do not look at things which are seen, but the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Jesus says, don't look at visible things. The game you need to play is invisible. And what's invisible? In the Bible, that's spirit. It's a spiritual thing that God wants us to look at. How do we look at something that's invisible? What's that? God is invisible. You can't see God. A lot of people, just, I don't believe in God because I can see him. I mean, if he was here, why didn't he show up in the sky? You wouldn't see him. He's invisible. Your eyeballs were not created to see God but how amazing it is that he became a human so that we could see what he would be like if he was a human. He actually became a human. And we got to see what God was like in Jesus. And Jesus says, if you want to know and if you want to play the real game, it's got to be invisible. God is invisible. Focus on God, focus on Jesus. But I can't see Jesus right now. Watch The Chosen. <laughs> it's a good show. But that's still not Jesus. It's just an actor portraying Jesus. I want to see the real Jesus right now. How can I see Jesus right now? You can't. He's invisible. Where is he? Someone tell me. He's in heaven, right? Jesus is in heaven. Anyone know what he's doing? He's sitting, right? He's seated at the right hand of his father, which just means he's in authority, and he is chilling in heaven, 
He's just fine. He sent his spirit down to earth for us to be with him. But God, Jesus is in heaven. God's in heaven. And he's saying, look there. Okay? But if Jesus is in heaven, how do I see him? Well, here's the crazy thing. God has put you there also. Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. God says, I'm not going to bring Jesus back down to earth right now. I'm going to bring you up there to him right now. And how does that work? Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4 tells us. It says, but God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he has loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. For by grace you have been saved and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So God says, I have united you with him. So if Jesus is sitting in heaven, so are you. Well, how do I connect with Jesus then? See, the treasure is already yours. The connection is already there. If you believe in him, you are already seated with him. It's nothing you have to do or earn ever. It's what Jesus did for you. And he says here in this verse, this verse is just so full of wonderful things. Is it still up there on the TVs? Ephesians? Okay. It's just, he says it's because of God's great mercy. You didn't deserve it. You didn't deserve to be in a pure heaven, but he says, I love you with his great love and with his mercy, he has raised you up. He loved you. Even when we were dead spiritually, guilty of all kinds of sin, deserving death, unable to raise ourselves from the dead, he made us alive together with Christ. He brought us forgiveness when we didn't deserve it. He brought us new life when we were dead. He brought us new value, new meaning, new purpose, satisfied with hope and filled because of what Jesus has done for us, because God loves us. He became our substitute, his risen life for our sinful, cursed death. And he says, by grace, you have been saved completely saved, totally saved, never to lose your place, never to lose your adoption. Once you believe, you're in, and you can't lose that. You've been adopted, undeservedly saved. He says, by grace. What is grace? I think we should read our poster. It's God's free provision through his son, Jesus. As we humbly trust in the person and work of his son, Jesus graciously gives us all that we need, yearn for. That's our sermon today, what we yearn for. Uh, All that we are commanded to walk in and become, but we can never deserve, earn, or produce any of this grace on our own. He says he raised us up. Why? So that he could unite us together in the heavenly places with Jesus. We are united in Jesus, and it's all free. It's all done. It's all finished, and it's all yours. You are seated in heaven with Jesus right now. Well, I don't feel like it. I feel like I'm in this boring church. If we only had eyes to see what Jesus has done for us, if we only could believe that Jesus loves us so much that you're already there, that your heart and his heart are so connected that there is no distance, and whatever we yearn for, is already supplied. And that's what this is about. Jesus is happy with you. Jesus finds his joy in you. And you will forever only be happy in him. That's the point of the sermon. All the other things, the nine things that Solomon gives us, They will all leave you empty. The only way you will ever be happy is in this perfect relationship with Jesus that he has given you for free. Psalm 16 highlights what I'm talking about here when it says, you show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. What a beautiful verse. Just glorious in his presence, like what we are, seated with him in heaven. We're in his presence right now. 
when you believe forevermore. So what do we do? All right, Colossians chapter 3. I know this has been a long Bible study. You're all troopers for hanging in, but we're not wimps, are we? We study the Bible. (laughs) Here we go. The last thing we got, Colossians 3. If then you were raised with Christ, oh, that's what we were just talking about. Imagine that. Awesome. Seek those things which are above. So what am I supposed to do now? Seek those things which are above, where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. We just talked about that. Set your mind on things above, not on things of earth, for you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. You died, meaning, I'm sorry, but you're never going to be happy again with anything that this world ever has to offer you. You'll find some joys, but nothing will ever truly satisfy your soul except Jesus, especially when you've heard about him now. Now nothing works except Jesus. He says, your life is now hidden with him, and you'll find it's so wonderful. So the practical application is, you know, we believe Jesus is everything that we need. He's everything that we could ever want. And he says, so seek it. Pursue that relationship with him, this grace. How do I do that? You spend time with him. You develop the relational realities of humility and faith, or what we call surrender. And you will find the result of that is that you will find your life has been kept safe and secure for you, your joy God has reserved for you, and you will find it in Christ, all that you've ever wanted. You will find more joy than you could ever have produced or discovered with anything in this world through intimacy with Christ, all the soul-satisfying love and acceptance and pleasure and healing that we need in our hearts, Jesus says, I got it for you. I got it safe for you. So come and drink of me whenever you need it. Whenever you're feeling sad, empty, dry, whenever you have any of that going on, go to Jesus. Solomon would say, I tried going to everything else, and it all left me still empty and dry. And Jesus says, I know. Sucks, huh? Come to me and it won't happen. That will not happen. I give you my word. I give you my blood. I give you my life. It will not happen that way. Okay, so this really cool ending, if this was like a symphony, this would be like that. All right? So pay attention. I'm just going to say the nine things that Solomon says are empty. I'm just going to give you what Jesus does for you about those things, okay? Jokes. Jesus rejoices over you. He is so happy with you. He does a belly laugh like Santa. Oh, my child, I love you. He, ah, alcohol. Jesus will party with you because he loves you so much. Art, Jesus says you are his creation. Nature, Jesus says all of creation he made for you to enjoy. Money and possessions, Jesus gives us richly earthly things, everything that we need so that we can generously give to others who also don't deserve it. Music, The Bible says Jesus sings over you. He's in heaven singing songs about how much he loves you, like a romantic guy writing songs for his beloved. Sex, Jesus is our true bridegroom, who we can truly become one with on a spiritual level. Affirmation, Jesus tells you that you are famous in his eyes, that he thinks of you so much that he knows every single hair on your head. He has them numbered. He's named them all, which is over-the-top loving. He, you are famous to him, and he cares about every single thing about your life and what has happened and what you think and what you feel. Jesus has that for you. And finally, work. Jesus says he will complete what he started in you. How amazing is Jesus? Well, you got a minute that we're going to respond to him. Okay, so we have communion available. So during these last two songs, so guys, come on up, uh, worship team. And during these last couple songs, uh, you guys have the freedom to come up and take communion. And as you take communion, just 
what you're doing is you're taking a little piece of bread and you're saying, man, that, this represents his body. It's not magic bread, but it represents his body, his life that was given to me, for me, as a sacrifice that uh, I needed so much, his body to be crucified for me. And then the, the wine represents his new life, the blood that he poured out to give us this new covenant of grace where God promises to be everything that you need. He promises to give you all the joy that you yearn for. He promises to love you. He really loves you. And when you take this, you're saying, God, thank you for loving me. Thank you for loving me. And guess what? You don't even have to say, I love you back. He's still going to love you. It doesn't change anything. But if you want to, you can absolutely tell him how you feel. You can absolutely respond to him with worship. And I hope that we do. Okay? So we have some time right now. Anytime during these last few songs, just come up and, and take communion. Or don't. He'll still love you. But let's pray. Father, I thank you for being so willing to provide what we just threw away in the trash in the Garden of Eden. We threw away all that could have been satisfying and wonderful and perfect and, and, and eternally valuable. We threw it away by sinning. And God, you have been so good to offer it back to us, cleansed. You picked it up, you washed it off. And through the person and work of your son, Jesus, you give us back everything that we so horribly threw away. And you do this all with such love, with such patience. You chase after us when we run away from you and we say, I want nothing to do with you. You don't turn your back on us, but you leave the 99 sheep to go after the one that's gone astray. You'll love us so much. And I pray that we would respond to your love with love back. Because I believe, I believe that when we hear about your love, that it produces a loving response back. Lord, I want to spend time with you and I want to serve you, but not because I have to, but because your love is so free, so complete, and so selfless. I truly adore you, Father, for your perfect love. So I just pray that you would speak into every single one of our hearts today and, and just, just touch us with your love. Let us know that we are your children and beloved by you. Amen.